My name is Cade, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here. If you're new, welcome. If you're joining us online, I want to extend greeting to you as well. We will wrap up our series, hashtag blessed here in week six, with James chapter one, verse 12. James one, verse 12. As you're getting there, let me ask you a handful of questions. If I said to you, a $100,000 prize awaits you, All that you have to do is convince three of your friends to trek 417 miles across the island of Fiji on foot, on paddleboard, on mountain bike, uh, from a rope rappelling. You risk hunger, you risk dehydration, you risk heat exhaustion, you risk hypothermia, you risk sleep deprivation. Oh, and you have to do it in under 11 days. Would you do it? Some of you are like, I wouldn't do that for $100 million. Because what I've described to you is what is known as the world's toughest race. It's an eco-challenge that was held in 2019 on the island of Fiji, and teams of four trekked across the island of Fiji, 417 miles on foot, on paddleboard, on a mountain bike, or rappelling from a rope to get across this island. They risked heat exhaustion and dehydration and hunger and sleep deprivation and hypothermia, And they had to do this all in under 11 days. And so a team of four from New Zealand won the race and they did it in six days. You're like, what is wrong with those people? Here's my question. What does it take? What's required of a team like that to complete a race like that? You're like, I'm not sure, insanity maybe? A lot of things perhaps. But for sure, one thing that it does require is endurance. It requires endurance. That at some level in that race, they're going to want to bail. It's cold, it's hot, I'm sweaty, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm thirsty, I want to ditch this. It's 412 miles, I know we only have five, but that seems like 500, I don't wanna do this anymore. And they need endurance, they need the ability to stand firm underneath what they're facing and keep going. Why do I tell you that? Because you and I, if you're followers of Jesus, find ourselves in a kind of world's toughest race. Paul refers to the Christian life as a race. And no doubt there are unbelievable joys to following Jesus in this race that we're running. But if you follow Jesus for any amount of time, you know there are moments of unbelievable trial, unbelievable difficulty that come in following Jesus. And what we'll learn from James today is that, is that if we're looking for blessing in this life, it's actually found in enduring underneath that trial and remaining steadfast underneath that trial. So hopefully you're there. James chapter one, beginning in verse 12. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand in honor of reading God's word. And at the end of our time together, we will say, the very word, just as a means to separate God's perfect words from mine that are not. James 1, verse 12, this is what the word of God says. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You can have a seat. So the main idea for our time together is this. The blessed life is found in remaining steadfast in trial. One more time. The blessed life 
is found in remaining steadfast in trial. Let's answer a couple of questions from this passage, the first of which is, who is blessed? James, who is the blessed person? I want to be blessed. James, tell me, who is the blessed person? So back to the beginning of verse 12, he says, blessed is the man who, James is about to identify who the blessed person is, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. He identifies right off the bat. The blessed person is the one who remains steadfast under trial. But what does he mean by this phrase, remains Steadfast, could you just imagine with me for a moment that if I gave you a barbell and racked weights on them and then told you to stand on one leg while you held it on your back, you wouldn't really be very steadfast on one leg. Maybe some of you are ninjas, I'm not sure, but you wouldn't really be remaining very steadfast underneath that. Maybe you could do it for a little bit, but eventually you'd bail, you'd lose your balance, you wouldn't have enough strength. But if I gave you that same barbell, racked on the same amount of weight, told you to maybe get your feet a shoulder width apart, maybe even stagger your feet a little bit and stabilize under both legs, you would be able to remain steadfast under that weight for far longer. This is the picture. You can remain steadfast, stable, sure, and persevere under what, does James say? Under trial. Now, typically in the Christian life, we think of trials as those things that come from the outside, inside our lives, and cause all kinds of chaos, and we've got to figure out how to deal with it. And that's not wrong, but it's not completely right either. Because as my friend, as my friend says, it, he says it like this, that every temptation is a trial, and every trial is a temptation to deny God. It's interesting, James will go on in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, he'll use the word tempted, that I am being tempted by God. That's the same word as trial in the New Testament. And so trial and temptation are two sides of the same coin. That every trial is a temptation to not is a t- t- temptation to deny God. We can get ourselves in trial and we can feel that chaos and in that moment what can rise up in us is a temptation to turn our back on God and say I can't deal with you right now because the chaos is just too much. And every temptation is a trial. You and I, as followers of Jesus, we are tempted to draw into wickedness and we have to bear up underneath that. We have to remain steadfast underneath that temptation. It is a very real trial. Jesus in the wilderness was tempted by Satan three times and he had to remain steadfast underneath that trial. Trial is this two-sided coin that we ought to understand. It's not just from without, it's also from within. And James says the pathway to blessing is remaining steadfast underneath that. I want you to notice something. James says the pathway to blessing in the Christian life does not avoid trials, it goes through them. So often we want to avoid trials. We want to do all that it takes to avoid them. But James says if you want to be blessed, you must face them. You must face them. Here's the good news. God does not leave us to figure out some of the why we must face them and all of the how we are to face them. We actually get part of the why in James 1, 2 to 4. Earlier in the passage, James will give us the reason that trials are the pathway to blessing. Jump up to verse 2 in James 1. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why, James? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James explains to his people, you will face trial and you ought to count it joy. How are we to do that, James? Because you know that God by his spirit is somehow supernaturally producing something in you amidst that trial. See, this is the great blessing of the Christian life as we face trial, that we are not going through trial meaninglessly. We are going through trial with a ton of meaning because the God of the universe is shaping something in us that we could otherwise not shape in ourselves. And so God is forging us by fire amidst that trial to look more like his son. And now listen to me. I know that some of you are facing some awful stuff. You've got the the death or the sickness of a loved one. You've taken abuse at the hand of another you've got a kid that's just wildin', like they're gone rogue, and you don't understand, like I don't understand how to deal with this, and they've just like, they've turned their back on us, they've turned their back on God, and we're just not sure what to do. And so I'm not just giving you these passages, it's like, hey, here's what the Bible says, deal with it and keep going. I'm giving you these passages to remind you that God has not abandoned you and God is not wasting your trial. Rather, by the sovereign love of God, he's producing something in you, what a gift. Because in the midst of trial, we're prone to forget that God is good to us. That he, as my friend says, does not leave us. In fact, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so to you who are facing unthinkable trial, I'm not trying to give you something easy to cop out. I'm trying to give you something to hold on to in the midst of your trial to remind you God is not wasting this. He's forming something in you. He's producing something in you. He's making you more like his son. And this is also at the same time a response to the skeptic The skeptic that looks at the chaos of the world and says, you see, this is why I can't believe that there is a God. There's too much chaos in the world. There's too much struggle. There's too much trial in the world for me to believe in God. And so they'll turn their back on God or they'll shake their fist at God. But here's my question to the skeptic, whether you're online or in the room or you have a friend, where else are you gonna go to explain what you're facing? What else will you do to look at the chaos that you're facing? Because to shake your fist at God or to turn your back on God amidst your trial is to shake your fist or turn your back on the one who is producing something in you and what's more than that will one day eliminate all trials for all time. So hold on to him. Don't let go. He's doing something in you amidst your trial. Hold on. Blessing awaits you. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. God is producing something in you. And God is really acquainted with this. In fact, we see it, as my friend said, most clearly in the gospel. God sends his son to come and live on the earth perfectly. And then to go to a cross bearing the wrath of God, he goes under trial. And he remains steadfast underneath that trial. And amidst that, God is producing something in that trial. 
Can you imagine if you're just watching that scenario, if you're one of the disciples that's seeing that happen, you see your, your, the, the guy you've been following for the past few years dying at the hand of the Romans. You're like, this is so senseless. What is happening? God, how are you even using this? And then they get the picture when he rises from the dead. God, you were producing something in this trial the whole time. The gospel is this vivid picture that God is not wasting trial. He's doing something amidst it. Hold on to him. He's doing something in it. So the question we're left with is how? How do we remain steadfast under trial? We understand that God might be doing something in it, but how do we remain steadfast? Like, Kate, Kate, like, I feel like this most of the time in my trial. Can you get me here? Like, how do I remain steadfast, stable to endure under this trial? The first thing is this. We remain steadfast under trial by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. We do not have the natural ability to remain steadfast under trial. So as it's been said before, we need a supernatural helper to get us through trial. And so we will only remain steadfast under trial by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this to his disciples right before he dies. He's going he's gonna to rise from the dead. And he's like, yo, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to leave. And so he says in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Dictionaries on the Greek, it's this word that the word helper actually means called to one's aid. The one who will be called to your aid, he will come to you. If I go away, the one who is called to your aid, he will come to you. And so uh, one of the Greek lexicons, the guy says this, so of the Holy Spirit, destined to take the place of Christ with the apostles, speaking of this moment, after his ascension to the Father, to lead them to deeper knowledge of gospel truth and to give them the divine strength needed to enable them to undergo trials and persecution on behalf of the divine kingdom. You see, Jesus knows the scenario well. If I don't go away, the helper won't come and you need the helper to endure what you're about to face. You won't make it otherwise. And so my friends, you need the spirit of God to carry you amidst trial. You do not have what it takes in yourself to do this. So hold on to God. We endure under trial. We remain steadfast under trial by the power of the Spirit. The second thing is we remain steadfast under trial through the truth of the Scriptures. We remain steadfast under trial through the truth of the Scriptures. Psalm 119.9, the psalmist says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? How do I bear up under the desire, the temptation to go and be impure? How do I do that? The psalmist says this, by guarding it according to your word. How do I remain steadfast under the temptation to bail on the way that God has designed for me to live? I guard myself according to your word. Later, the psalmist will say in 119, verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You can think about it a little bit like this. Let's just say that you're this sponge. It's an illustration, people. Just go with me here. Let's just say that you're you're the sponge and this water that I'm putting in this bowl is the stuff that you input into your life. It's the stuff that you take in. 
It's the stuff that you hide in your heart. It might not be the scriptures. It might be lies from the media. It might be the chaos of the media. It might be the sports that you like to absorb in. It might be whatever. You fill in the blank with whatever you're absorbing. And so what happens if you're the sponge, you're just taking in stuff all week long, all month long, you're taking in stuff. And here's what happens. Eventually, a trial shows up in your life and you get pressed. And when you get pressed, what you've stored in you comes out of you. So here's my question to you. What are you storing in you to come out of you on that day? What are you allowing to be absorbed into your life that comes out of you on the day that you get pressed? What do you want to come out of you on the day that you get pressed? Do you want chaos to come out of you? Or do you want the truth of the scriptures to bubble out of you when you get pressed? A reminder that says, God is good. He has not let go of me. He's producing something in me. He will carry me by his spirit. I've hidden my word and I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What's gonna come out of you when you get pressed? What have you stored up in your heart all week long, all month long? So on the day that you get pressed, the right things come out of you because you remain steadfast under trial through the truth of the scriptures. Third thing, we remain steadfast under trial with the help of the people of God. We remain steadfast under trial with the help of the people of God. Galatians 6 verse 2 says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Here's what happens when we're in trial. Eventually, even if our legs are stable and we're really strong, eventually the weight on our back gets to be too much. And the instruction from Paul in Galatians 6 is, you should bear one another's burdens. Someone should come along in your life and lift that off of your back for a little while so you can get a reprieve. You remain steadfast under trial with the help of the people of God. In fact, we get this picture in Exodus chapter 17. Joshua's battling the Amalekites at Rephidim. Moses and Aaron and Hur go up on the mountain. They're looking down on the battle. And as long as Moses holds up his hands, the Israelites win. But you know the story. Eventually, Moses' hands grow weary. And so here's what they do. They sit him down on a rock, and Aaron goes on one side, and Hur goes on another, and they hold his arms up so that the people of God can win the battle. Here's the picture. At some point in your battle, your hands are going to grow tired, and you're going to want to put them down. And you need the people of God to come to your right and to come to your left to hold your arms up when you can't so that you can go toward victory. This is why we do life groups, by the way. It's not like, what should we do during the second hour of church? What if we put a bunch of adults in classrooms? I mean, the point is, we want you to look other people that follow Jesus in the face and say, this is hard. We don't know how to face this. We don't know what to do. And in that moment, the people of God come to your aid. They're expressions of the spirit of God and they come to your right hand and to your left hand and they say, we'll hold up your arms when you can't. 
keep going. One more step, one more mile, one more day. Those of you who love to be Lone Ranger Christians, just look at me in the face. You won't make it. You won't make it. You weren't made to live that way. God didn't design you to live that way. You need other people. Find them. I'm not saying, this is not like a marketing scheme for life groups, though. This is a pretty good one. (laughs) Find people that are following Jesus. Live life with them. They will lift your arms. And one day you will lift theirs. Because this is what it looks like to remain steadfast under trial. You cannot do it without the help of the people of God. Fourth way we remain steadfast in our trial is motivated by the future promise of God. Motivated by the future promise of God. In fact, we see that in the latter half of verse 12. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. James says, Part of you remaining steadfast under trial is holding on to the promise that God will reward those who remain steadfast, who endure, who persevere. There is a real crown of life that awaits those who remain steadfast. This future promise gives us the ability to endure. I had a friend who years ago signed up to run a marathon. And... uh, he trained and did all that he had to do, and race day comes, and three, two, one, start, he runs. He gets 11 miles in, and he feels a pop, which if you're running a marathon, that's not a good scenario. You know, you're just like, this isn't good. Something's going bad here. So he pulls off and gets into some kind of med tent, and they figure out that he has torn his hamstring. Again, not a good scenario. You know, like, if you're running a marathon and you're thinking, you know, like, what would you do? You're like, I'm 11 miles in, I'm good. This is great. Like, no big deal. I've torn my hamstring. Wheel me out of here. I'm good. I can die. Happy person. I've made it 11 miles. Except that's not what my friend did. Comes out of the medical tent, and he finishes the marathon on a torn hamstring. So if you're doing the math at home, that's 15.2 miles on a torn hamstring. If, what do you, who, why would you do that? You know, like, what is it that allows him to endure through the pain of a torn hamstring for 15.2 miles? Well, he said, it's just the pride. Like, dude, I trained for this thing. I'm finishing this thing. But certainly it's the reality that somewhere up there, there is the future promise of a finish line. And this pain ends. So I'll run and I'll run and I'll run because one day this ends. And so to you, follower of Jesus, amidst your trial, you hold on to the promise that there is real blessing for those who remain steadfast underneath that trial. I will continue to persevere one more step, one more mile, one more day, whatever it takes, because there is a promise given by God that there's a crown for me. And so I will look toward that future promise and continue to go by the power of the Spirit through the truth of the Word of God with the help of the people of God, but fixing my gaze on this reward. 
that God has promised to me. It, I mean, just notice the caveat that James gives, that there's a crown of life that awaits you, and who promised it to you? God has promised. Not your friends, not your coworkers, but it is God that has promised. And so if he promised, he will deliver. So hold on. Remain steadfast underneath your trial because there's a very real crown of life that awaits you. One more step, one more day, one more mile, keep going. There's real reward that awaits you. Now what is this crown of life? A study notes in the ESV study Bible said it's eternal life and all the benefits of eternal life. And maybe for some of you, you're like, oh, that's awful convenient. Seems like a lame reward. Like, I gotta like suffer for days and years and months. And God's like, I'll give you a crown one day. Just one day up there. To think that is to really misunderstand a couple of things. One, it's to undervalue just how incredible eternal life will be. Two, as a pastor in Dallas has said before, a thousand years from now, you won't care how hard the trial is you'll only know how incredible eternity is. And all throughout the Bible, the authors of the scriptures are trying to get us to think ahead. Look ahead, think eternal, look up there. Don't look right here, look up there. Hebrews chapter 12, let's lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely to us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Run this race, but don't look right here. Don't think about how much your legs hurt or your lungs burn, look up. Look ahead and run. You look down, you think about how hard it is, you'll want to bail. But if you look up and remind yourself, there's a real crown awaits, there's real glory that awaits me, there's a real promise from the real God that waits for me, you're able to keep going one more step, one more day, one more mile. Think about how much your life would change. Think about how many mistakes you would avoid if we could just for a moment fix our eyes on eternity. What if we made professional decisions, familial decisions, parenting decisions, financial decisions based on then and not now? What if we thought in light of eternity? Perhaps it would change the way that we remain steadfast under trial, fixing our eyes on the promise that God has given. And who has he given it to? To those who love him. To us, to his people, the ones who call in his name and say, we love you, God. So some of your ability to remain steadfast under trial has to do with whether or not you trust God's word or not. Is he who he says he is? Will he deliver on his word or not? And again, I'm not trying to make light of the fact that when you're in trial, it's really easy to be like, God, like, I don't know, like, you gotta, I don't understand here, man. And I hope that you would, in all of your honesty, bring every bit of that to God. And that he and his kindness by his spirit would remind you, I am who I said that I am. I will do exactly what I said I will do. I will keep my word, I won't back out. 
The scriptures are proof of that over and over and over and over again. And if the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is anything, it is a picture that God never bails on his promise. So hold on. People of Bay Area, you want the blessed life. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when you have stood the test, you'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let me pray for us. Father, I acknowledge to you that stuff like this is hard and we want answers because we get, we get under trial and we feel the chaos and we want to know why and you give us some of that but you don't give us all of that and we're people who want to know. We're people who want to see the end from the beginning but here's the truth, God. You are the only one who sees the end from the beginning. You are the beginning and the end and so help us, help me Help us to be the kind of people that amidst our trial, we remain steadfast underneath it and receive blessing as we endure it because we're holding on to you. We don't want to bail to a cheaper source. You're it. So help us to hold on by your spirit, through your word, with the help of your people, with the certainty of your promise. Help us to hold on. We love you, Lord. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're gonna enter into a time of response. Maybe there's some of you here who don't know Christ. Maybe you're the kind of person that has turned your back on God because of trial that you faced. But maybe through this, you're seeing that maybe God is not wasting what you have faced. In fact, God is near to you amidst what you have faced. And You want to know what it means to walk with this God. If that's you, I hope that you would come forward and talk to one of our pastors or prayer partners. You just say to them, hey, hey, I wanna know who God is. Can you help me understand? And maybe you're here and you do know Jesus, but you're in the midst of an unthinkable trial. And maybe what our pastors or prayer partners could be in this moment is the people of God that lift up your arms and say, keep going one more day, one more mile. And maybe you've got other things that you just need to offload. You can just come up here and kneel or we'd love to pray with you. But this is a moment for you to respond to whatever it is that God is doing in you. So my invitation to you is to stand and let's respond to God together.